in um, Naperville, Illinois, there is a, uh, a softball league for old guys. I mean, you have to be over 60 to play, and most of these guys have been playing ball all their life, and they enjoy the game. They say the dangerous, most risky part of the game is not so much pulling a muscle or falling down and going boom, but it has to do with heart attacks. They play twice a week. They play in the heat of the summer. And Bill Brody says, he's 63, he says, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die doing what I love doing. No matter whether it's playing softball, fishing, hunting, or doing something else. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. I like that, don't you? I mean, that guy's got some spunk, and he's not going to sit in a chair and rock back and forth and die of boredom. He's going to go out his way. Too many times we are tempted in the church to take a step back, to relax a little, Maybe not pursue things in a different way because we are really okay with doing things the way it's always happened. Do you think we do church the same today that we did 10 years ago? Probably not, right? We have kind of changed some methods, not the message, the message is non-negotiable, But some methods are probably done today simply because our culture changes. Church attendance in America is at an all-time low. And I think I shared this statistic a couple weeks ago as I was trying to do some research for a leadership retreat. One of the men that I talked to, an administrator at a large church, told me that in a recent conference he attended, he was told that The average church attender five years ago missed one Sunday out of four each month. Today, the average church attender in America attends one Sunday out of four each month. So that means that the average church member is in church 12 times a year, and they wonder why their relationship with Jesus is not what it ought to be. A few years ago, the movie Dead Poets Society, remember? Taking you back a day or two. Robin Williams starred in the movie. They resurrected an obscure Latin phrase that most of us had forgotten, carpe diem, which means to seize the day or to take advantage of every opportunity, to live life to the full, if you will. And probably if we were to take a survey of everyone here today, And ask the question, do you want to live a fulfilled life or not so much? I would be willing to bet the ranch that most everybody here would say, I want to live a life that is full. However, in our culture, advertisers know the way we think and they want to know that we want to be satisfied in our life. So they use slogans to kind of uh, push us in that direction, things like, Who says you can't have it all? Or just do it. 
Things like uh, satisfy your thirst or life is a journey, enjoy the ride, and on and on these slogans appear because they know that we are seeking satisfaction. And it has to do with our joy, our happiness, and living life to the full. However, we have a hard time seizing the day nowadays because we live busy lives, do we not? And sometimes, because of the deadlines or the commitments, because of the problems or the priorities, because of the distractions or the obstacles, we're too tired to seize the day, aren't we? You get at home at night and you're done with opportunity. I just want to find my chair and get my flicker and flick. I'm done for the day. Ever felt that way? Just maybe a little bit too tired to seize any more moments? As Paul, I believe, believed in this type of philosophy because in this third chapter of Philippians, he begins to speak to it and I think he shares a step-by-step process of how, if we follow the process, how we might live life to the full. So if you have your Bibles with you today, Philippians chapter 3, I want to start reading with verse 7, and it goes like this. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now in those verses, there is a plan. And the plan starts with this. In order to live a life to the full, in order order to seize the day, we need to define or to find our purpose. In order for a business, a church, an organization, a family, or an individual to be successful, they need to find their purpose and connect themselves to that purpose. Have you ever heard of the IRS? Like them or not, they know their purpose for existing. In 1976, the IRS handbook states, during the state of a national emergency resulting from enemy attack, the essential functions of the service will be as follows. Assess, collect, 
and record taxes. So when we are under siege by the enemy, when we are in a panic, in a frustration, in fear, we can bet the ranch that the IRS is doing all that they can to continue to tax us from our monies. I mean, they know their purpose. They have locked in to that task, and they will do that no matter what. Maybe if I were to ask you what your purpose was today, maybe you might tell me things like, I want to be a good mom, or I want to be a good dad. I want to be the best that I can be. Or maybe you would say, I want to be the best wife or the best husband I can be. Maybe I want to provide for my family or I want to go to my workplace and do my job as it ought to be done. Maybe those would be the kind of things that came from you. And they're good things, aren't they? However, they are secondary. That is not your primary purpose, primary reason to exist. And those things come from a different deal. I have an ink pen with me today. What do you think the purpose of an ink pen is? Is it to annoy people? Does that bother you? Is that the purpose of an ink pen? Is it a chew toy? Is that the purpose of an ink pen? The purpose of an ink pen is to help you when you write things down, correct? It's a tool. It's an instrument. What if this was a pen that cost $200? I don't have too many pins like that because I lose them a lot. If I had $200 worth of pins, it would probably fill my drawer in my office with bics. Because a bic can take a licking and keep on writing, you know. If I had a $200 pin and it wouldn't work, it would be what? Useless. This is a pin from out front, First Christian Church, Evansville. It's not a $200 pin. However, if a pen doesn't fulfill its purpose, it is useless. If you are here today and you have not not come to the place where you understand your purpose, then chances are, in terms of kingdom language, you are what? Useless. And that's what we got to get past today. That's what Paul is trying to share with his friends. They need to discover their purpose. In fact, he says in verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I want to become like him in death. And and so how to attain the resurrection from death? And Paul is saying quite simply, I want to be like Jesus. Doesn't say, I want to be like Mike. Don't say I want to be like anyone else. He says that his purpose in life is to be, is to model Jesus. That's his reason for living. So we need to find our purpose, and our purpose evidently, if we connect with this book of Philippians, is to find our purpose, and that is to mimic Jesus in the things that we say, the places we go, the things that we do. We need to mimic Jesus. Anyone here struggle with that? I do. There are times when I'm sure I don't mimic him. In fact, if you were to look at me and, 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 and that issue, you would probably say you're the furthest thing from Jesus that I could possibly think of. Probably most of us from time to time have a problem with modeling Jesus because there's too much of that other stuff in us. There's a second step, and hear me out before you shut me down. We need to learn to forget the past. 
Now, I'm not talking about your memories and memory lane and all that kind of thing, but we have a tendency from time to time to make the past more important than the present. And the present will influence our future, and we have to remind ourselves that the future has not come yet, so we have to do all that's within us to understand the present, and part of that is forgetting the past. Here's what the Bible says in Verse 13, this is one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had a pretty colorful past. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. Before he was an instrument of the kingdom, he was an instrument to destroy the kingdom. And I'm sure he tortured a lot of Christians. I'm sure he put a lot of Christians to death. In his concept of understanding who Christ was, he began to make the change. So I'm sure he carried a lot of guilt, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of awkward feelings in his life. Anyone here ever feel guilty for what they have not done or what they have done in terms of the kingdom? Maybe your marriage, maybe your parenting, maybe your dating, maybe your comings and going. Anyone here feel a little weird, awkward, guilty because of that? Most all of us have a skeleton or two in our closet, don't we? The Bible tells us that there has to be a time when we learn to forget the past and Two ways we do this. First, we forget the bad. Who is your own worst enemy? You are. I'm my own worst enemy. So when it comes to forgetting the past, I need to learn not to dwell on the bad. And maybe that will help us have a better understanding of grace and forgiveness. I'm sure you're not going to recognize this guy. His name is Roy Regals. And in 1929, he was in a football game. He played for California, and they were playing Georgia Tech. It was one of those championship kind of games. Roy recovered a fumble, and in the confusion, in the excitement, he began to run the wrong way. I don't know if that's why they call him wrong way way Roy or not, but that's what I would probably have called him. Not to his face, of course, because he was probably pretty, pretty big. He ran 65 yards before his own teammate tackled him two yards from making a touchdown for the other team. They punted the ball to try to get out of the desperate area. The kick was blocked and the other team scored a touchdown right before half. They say when Roy made his way into the locker room, he went to a secluded place and he said all by himself. I wasn't there, but they say he began to weep. And he cried like a baby. The coach did his halftime spiel to kind of energize his team and he said, the starting team is going back on the field to begin the second half. The whole team left the locker room except Regal and the coach, and 
Regal just sat with his hands holding his face, weeping. Regal said, Coach, I can't go out there. I can't do it again. I have failed my team. And the coach said, Get up and get out there. The game's only half over. You belong on the field. And Regal said that he wiped his face and went back out and had a pretty decent second half. I have no idea who that coach was, but I think I like him, don't you? I mean, here's a guy, you know, has messed up big time and in front of a whole crowd of people, and instead of punishing him, he offers grace and forgiveness. We need to learn to forget the bad. Here's what God says in Isaiah 43, verse 25. I am he, I am the one who blots out your transgressions, your mistakes, your sins. I do it for my sake, and I will not remember your sins anymore. I mean, that's a great piece of scripture, right? How many sinners do we have in here today? I mean, we have all arrived, haven't we? I mean, we are here, and we have those issues in our life. And God says in Isaiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity, their sins, their mistakes, their goof-ups, and I will remember them no more. I don't care who you are in this room. You are a sinner, just like me. However, you can understand this, that God will forgive you of your sins if you act And ask for repentance. If you repent, that means you're going to do your best not to talk that way anymore. Not to go to those places. Not to do those things. And your lifestyle will show that. And if that is the case, we are promised grace, undeserved merit, undeserved favor. And we are also promised forgiveness. Does that jazz anybody up today? Or am I the only one that kind of gets it going? I mean, that excites me. I was up at my regular time this morning. Debbie had gone to get ready, and I was waiting my turn. I had gone through Sports Center. No new news there, except I did not know that Kentucky lost yesterday until then. And I celebrated this morning. So I flipped it over to um, the JoJo show. Home and, what's that thing called? Fixer Upper. There you go. Fixer. Did you see that this morning about 530? Probably not. She created this new makeover for a single mom. And on the wall, she created a phrase, today is a good day for a good day. I thought, man, that's, I'm writing that down. I mean, I like that. Today is a good day for a good day. It's an attitude thing. It's, it's a choice that we make. Every day I think that we live just for fun today. We're going to say that together, okay? Today is a good day for a good day. Today is a good day for a good day. Wouldn't it be incredible if our church lived like that? Help me out. Who is the church? Wouldn't it be great if y'all lived like that? Wouldn't it be great if I lived that way? Today is a good day for a good day. You see, that's what Paul wanted his friends to understand here and it has to do with forgetting 
the bad. There's another part to forgetting, and we need to learn to forget the good. Now hang with me. Let me explain this here. Because there are too many times people do their best to live in the past. Bruce Springsteen sings the song Glory Days. I'm not going to sing that for you this morning, but here's the deal. In the song, it's about a guy who lives in the past and he wants to do all that he can to celebrate the good old days. And some of the lyrics are, the time slips away and leaves you with nothing but boring stories of glory days. You see, there's a lot of people who zero in on one good period in their life and they want to relive that over and over and over again. Now what's really crazy the older we get, the better we get at doing this. We like to remember the good old days, the glory days, maybe a time in high school, maybe college, maybe in an early marriage. You know, we, we, we like to go back and relive, rethink those things. Believe it or not, there's a lot of churches who think that way. They want to go back and do things the way things used to be done. I'm not saying those things are bad, but sometimes you need to change the methods, not the message, but the methods to reach out to a different generation. It's been a while now, but I was called downtown to a church. They wanted me to speak to them for 30 minutes to their leadership team on um, how we, several blocks away, we're doing ministry and being successful, and they wanted me to analyze their ministry they thought they weren't being successful in. 30 minutes went into three hours. They told me of their traditional worship, which was about 23 people, and also their uh, contemporary worship style. They called it their celebration service that had three people in it. I didn't think that was a whole lot of celebration, you know? So we talked about all kinds of things. They were just a shell of what they once were. And we went through strategies and methodologies and ideas and concepts. And when I left, they said, can you come back? Come back sometime. And I said, sure, just continue to pray that God would bless you and maybe try some of these new things. And maybe, maybe things will begin to to turn around. Church is different today than it's ever been. Again, the same message, different methodology. And I think the church that's going to be effective in the 21st century has to continue to evaluate itself on a regular basis. I think if we're going to be successful in the 21st century, all of us, we need to continue to evaluate ourselves and stretch ourselves in a way that we have never stretched before. In just a few weeks, Matt's going to be sharing with you a special New Year's Day service, a message. We want to challenge you, our friends, to read through the Bible this year. We want to challenge you, our friends, to develop a specific devotional time, specific prayer time that you might be able to lock into on a regular basis so that you might begin to stretch yourself and to push yourself in places that you never thought you might be stretched or pushed before. There are some other things that we want to encourage you to do. So I encourage you on New Year's Day, before the football games, to land here 
and hear the challenge. You know, I understand Paul says, I will not live in the past. He says, my reason for living is to be like Jesus, and whatever happened yesterday, good or bad, is now ancient history, but today I will live for Jesus. Now, that's just my paraphrase, but that's where he landed. One more thing needs to be said, and this, this is it. The third step in this process of living life to the fullest or, or, or seizing the moment is to face the present. He says in verse 13, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to whatever lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. It's easy to live in the past. It's easier to dream about the future. You know, we say things like, someday I'm going to work on my temper. Have you ever said that? Or someday I'm going to clean up my language. Ever said that? Someday I'm going to be a better dad or a better mom. Someday, you know, we someday it all the time, don't we? Understand that this is a good day to be a good day. Maybe today is the day that you decide to do something. You know, in the 11th chapter of John, there's a story there of, of, of a friend of Jesus. His name was Lazarus, and he passed away. He had been dead four days. He had been in the tomb four days. When Jesus finally makes it into town, Martha, the sister, says to Jesus, if only, and this is a phrase that a lot of people who live in the past use, if only you had been here sooner my brother, your friend, would not have died. And then Jesus said to Martha, your brother will, he will rise again. Martha begins to dream about the future, and she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last days. You see, I think that she understood that Jesus had power in the past, and that he was going to have power in the future. But what she didn't remember, and what we forget a lot of times, is that Jesus still has power today, right now, in the present. Jesus said to her, John eleven twenty six, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looked right at her and said, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. By this simple confession, she was saying, not just yesterday, not just tomorrow, but I believe that you are the Christ today, right now. And it was a moment that Martha began to face the present and put her faith into action. I wonder if I have anyone here today who needs to meet the Jesus of today. Maybe your home's not a happy place. Maybe you know that Christmas is not going to be good because you barely made it through November. Maybe you have a job issue. Maybe you have a physical issue. Maybe you need to be reminded that the God of today is just as active and just as powerful as he was in the past and as he will be in the future. Have you ever felt that way? 
Maybe today is the day that you carpe diem, that you seize the day. Maybe it's today that you take advantage of the opportunity that God has placed before you. Maybe you can make this day your own, or better yet, maybe you can make today his own. Who has, who has the final say? There's a story about three businessmen, one boss and two employees, that were walking their way to lunch, and they came upon one of these genie lamps. You know what I'm talking about? One of the guys picked it up and started to rub it, and there came a genie. And the genie said, you can have three wishes, or each one of you can have one wish, but I can only give three. So they thought it would be a good thing to each have a wish. The first employee said, I wish I was at the lake in a speedboat just blitzing around the water. Boom, he was gone. The second employee said, I wish I was with my wife hiking in the mountains, and boom, he was gone. The third guy, the boss, wished. He said, I wish both of those guys will be back in the office when I get back from lunch. And they were. So I have to ask the question, who gets the last say in your life? You see, every Lord's Day, we come to a special time in our service, a time of communion, where we basically say, Father God, today is a good day to be a good day. We say we know that you have the power in the past, the power in the future, and the power right now today to help me be a better person, to help me talk better, to help me live better, to help me make better life choices. And we also acknowledge his ability to have the final word. Because the Bible says a day is going to come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is your time, this is your special moment to be with the Father in a very intimate way and to thank him for allowing today to be a very good day. And to thank him for being powerful in the past, for his promises for the future, and for his promises to be real today. And maybe you too can thank him for having the last words in your life. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much.